HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I am here in studio today with my guest, Ariel Barboot. He is the founder and CEO of New Chess. Welcome to the show, Ariel. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. So why don't you first tell us, what is New Chess? So New Chess is a handheld food business. We actually make convenience and great products, we put them together. Our core item is an empanada today, but uh, that's that's sort of where we come from. That's that's my <clears throat> essentially what I could bring to the table. I could show a great empanada, and we are now producing something that it's a lot more than that. So we call them handheld foods. With the initial format of an empanada. Right. And you're from Argentina. I'm from Argentina. Where empanadas are very ubiquitous, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a staple. Like, to us, an empanada or a pizza, it's kind of the same thing. Like, if it's if it's sports game or anything we're watching, we're probably not having a sub. We'll have an empanada, and that's most likely, or the choripan. Yeah. Um, so why, like, how did you come up with the concept? Like, what made, did you identify there was just, like, a lack of good empanadas in the United so, States or New York when you came here? That's pretty much, uh, not when I came here, actually, first. But uh, as I was taking a sabbatical in Argentina, I used to live here. I was taking a sabbatical, and a few friends of mine came to visit. 
uh, from New York. We, I took them out to some of the best places and you know some of the best restaurants in Buenos Aires. And after six days of fine, fine dining, we were kind of exhausted. It's very exhausting to go out and, and, and eat at all these places and having to keep up and showing. And <laughs> we decided to stay home. And I've ordered what I usually order, and something that I've always eaten, but I've never looked at it from that perspective. And we've ordered like a box of empanadas, 24 of them. It's something very common you do in Argentina. That's your main course. That's your, that's your dinner. It's not just a snack like people say here. And we opened the box. The moment we opened the box, the three of us looked at each other and we knew we were doing this. Like, it's instant. To the point that we took a picture and then we still use that picture of that first box. Really? Well, wait, tell me more about that <clears throat> moment. Like, you all just it had was, a, an understanding without even communicating? <laughs> it, pretty much. I mean, it's like, you know, this is, I mean, why is this not happening? Why yeah. are people not having this convenience something so great so easy to handle so easy to share so so versatile i mean when you think of an empanada today you you might think of your bodega empanada which is a ground beef or or a chicken and there's not a lot of options but the format which is a format that's been around for hundreds of years in every single culture it's just the perfect convenience it's it is especially in a place like new york where we're so often going from one place to another it is like actually a really brilliant thing to have something you can eat in your hand without worrying about it falling apart. Like it's completely self-contained. So even before all this convenience was necessary and the handheld self, handheld phones and devices, we were always carrying this. This was a food that people took to work. You know, like I'm sure our, most of our ancestors, when they needed to carry something, it was put in some form of wrap and yeah. carried it. They weren't plates. They didn't have these trays that we take right now that we need to dispose of. This is the whole thing. It's it's the container. It's the plate. It's everything inside. Yeah, the edible container. It's the edible container. And the, I would say even Romans back when had these meat pies. Romance? Um, Romans. Oh, Romans. Romans. Romance. Uh, we, like romantic empanadas. No, so we'll go through this a lot. I get a lot of... I mean, the empanadas <clears throat> could be sexy for sure. I, it's, a, it's my accent. We'll go through this plenty of times through You do have like a very... Like you could narrate romance novels in your free time. You know, this is my first time in the radio, actually, I think. And I've always wanted to do something. You have like radio. an Antonio Banderas, like Thank radio you. vibe. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I meant from Rome. Not Rome. From Rome, yes. I understand. Rome being Rome. a romantic yeah. place. Yeah, so everyone in every culture, they, they have this. And this is sort of what, what was so interesting. We I, have the hot pocket in America. Yeah, the hot pocket, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but that's trademarked, so it's really not... It's a very ancient you know. historical food. Yeah, and the, what, I, the, what we saw is everybody does it. It's almost one of those things that almost everybody wants to do. So, like, I want to start an empanada business. I would say that a lot of people that thought, from Argentina or from South America of starting a business. A lot of them think of this thing because it's so easy, so perfect. Not so simple, but uh, in every culture, it's the kind of thing that people want to do. It's Yeah. Do you, do you know the history of empanadas from Argentina? Not so, to put you on the spot. Yeah, you kind of did, but it's okay. Okay. So <laughs> uh, they're not from Argentina. Oh. They're not from, I mean, they came to Argentina the same way they went to Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Mexico. But they, they come from the Middle East. So essentially, ah. I think the, the origin, I wouldn't know which original format, the one that we have sort of came probably from, I don't know which country in the Middle East, to Spain, the, the Empanada Española. 
uh, which is mostly a tuna empanada, but it's a bigger thing. And then you made in South America different formats, and each country really think it's their own, and and it's hard. We call them empanadas. I I call them handheld foods. I'm trying not to make a very Argentine thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why is that? Like, when I first came here to do this, I was like, okay, let's bring empanadas to New York, because there was no good explanation why it wasn't a popular thing seven years ago, eight years ago. When I was in college, I went to college in Boston. We did buy empanadas all the time from a small place. They were fried product, but we never really thought of this as anything. It was just like, hey, let's get empanadas. We all get excited, but we didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so tracing this back a little bit, uh, I think, uh, I got lost here a second. Oh, that's okay. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about like when you moved to the United States for the first time. From Argentina. What, when was that and why did that happen? Okay, so I, and I apologize for a second That's ago. okay. Uh, I came here to school. Mm-hmm. I went to BU, Boston University. I'm an engineer, actually. And my, my idea was always to go back home. Was I come to the U.S., I study, I learn, and I go back, go Just work on my family business. come here for college and then go home, yeah. That was the plan. That mm-hmm. was, uh, <clears throat> I was very comfortable at home. I mean, not comfortable, but it was, you know, easy life, very sheltered experience. Everybody was from the same place. I come from a Jewish family in Argentina. And that's kind of, that was my world. You know, I came here to see that world, to experience something different, but always to go back. That's, and it was quite a shell shock. It was uh, to walk into a classroom with people from all over the place, first to study English. Did you know English when you moved I spoke here a little, for school? I spoke okay. a little English. Uh, so I was in a mid-level or advanced, but I was in college ready. Mm-hmm. I did a semester before that. Uh, and all of a sudden to have friends, not only from other strange countries, but countries closer to me that I never had friends from, from Venezuela, Colombia, Japan. It was so interesting. It was so interesting. And, and I think that's one of the things that drew me to this show today is, you know, immigration. I came here because I wanted to be close to all of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't come here to be in the United States only. I came here to eat Japanese food. I came here to eat Mexican, to eat Middle Eastern food. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> to experience is, the multiculturalism yeah. that America offers. Yeah, and that's the reason why I moved here the second time. I went back to Argentina for a while, fast forward. So you did go back after college the I first time. I did go back mm-hmm. after a while. I stayed here at college. I started working here. I've been in the food business for a while. But I decided to take a sabbatical. I went back to Buenos Aires. And as much as I love Argentine food, <clears throat> I've really missed all that diversity. And I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take it going to the supermarket and, and having to just live with whatever we had. And because of market conditions, importing products was not a possibility. So you had like four different cheeses or maybe ten. I mean, great cheeses. <clears throat> but our staples were six or ten and not a lot of Japanese options, not a lot of Indian food, not a lot of spices. I needed some of that and that brought me back. Were you, but like in Argentina, like in Buenos Aires, I mean, in my mind, Buenos Aires is fairly... <clears throat> Diverse, or is that a misconception on my part? It's not a misconception. I mean, it, it is diverse. It's very European, but we have so there's a lot of Italians, a lot of Germans, a lot of Spanish people. So we have that diversity. It's <clears throat> the same food that you also have here that that I love, but doesn't really drive me crazy or like not full of flavors. It's you know you can have great Italian food, but it's you know pretty mild. It's a uh, it's I, pretty I love, Western. Yeah, I I I die for a pizza, but. Uh, 
you know, you don't get all those punches like when you eat. It sounds like you were really craving spice. Spice, yes. Yeah. Like all those things, like all those, you know, Chinese, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jamaican or anything. Like, uh, that's what I like. And Argentines in general don't eat spicy at all. Yeah, I'm always struck <laughs> when I go to Europe. I mean, as wonderful as the food is there, it's like taking a sabbatical from spicy food. Yes, completely. And, and, and spicy, not even spicy food. Mm. It's like... You could add something spicy on it, but there's not a lot of pepper. Unless you go to Mexico, <clears throat> we don't eat a lot of spice. Like in Argentina, nothing. Even the only traditional item we offer, which is we call them the Argentine, which is inspired in a traditional Argentine empanada. It's baked. People find it spicy, and it has, like, nothing. Right. Like and, if and you've so had actual spice, you would understand it's relatively not spicy, it's not. So, so I don't even like when an Argentine comes and, and tries a product, I'm always like, okay, they're going to hate me. <laughs> like I know they're going to hate me. Yeah. And, and then when they see the green empanada, they're like, that's the end of it. I always think of like putting on fiery hot sauce on empanadas. And, and that's the other thing that, you know, change. So in Argentina, we do just plain empanadas. We don't really use chimichurri. Like mm. people expect we use, I love chimichurri, but it goes on a steak. And the steak only has salt on it. There's no, it's not a sauce for empanadas. But in here, like, and that's why I, I do handheld foods. And we can get into that later. But we want to provide a meal. And usually when you have a meal from, you don't go adding other flavors. Like we, it, it's not just dry chicken that needs the sauce. It's maybe a, and here we have another language barrier, shiitake curry. And <clears throat> that doesn't need spicy sauce. So if you put... Shiitake a, curry? Yeah. Shiitake mushrooms? Shiitake curry. mushrooms, thank you. Uh, it's a vegan empanada that we make that it's really an Indian uh, flavor. And you can't just put it... I mean, you can put a little more spice if you want, but it's already there. Mm-hmm. The product is there. So it's hard. Like I, the first three years, I think, or four, we didn't have any sauces. And I was very stubborn. <laughs> Pretty much like the Big Night, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> with Primo, it's like, no, I'm not going to put pasta with the, you know, no pasta with that. Right. And I felt like that. And, and one day, I, we had no choice but to, to add it. We were going to the Bendis. And the food truck competition the, the awards. The food truck yeah. awards. And, and one of my guys like, listen, people are going to be asking for sauce. And if you want to have any shot at winning anything, you can't just say no. Americans love sauce. They love I sauce. I love it so much. Yeah. We want all the sauces. All and the I sauce. love that you brought up Big Nick's. That's the best food movie ever. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So you came back so because I, you wanted spicy food. <laughs> well, I went back to Argentina. Uh, you know, I would say politics, uh, if you want to get into that. Go for it. <clears throat> Essentially, I moved here. Things were kind of okay at home. I was still young. Uh, and every time I would go back to Argentina, I was studying here. I'll go back to Argentina, open the newspaper and read things that I could not cope with. Like, that would really shatter my core and would make me feel really bad about the current government. Like, like what? Like, I mean, and this is a very old story, but our former president, I don't want to go into names, uh, his daughter was at the university. And there was... You can go into names, it's the president. It's the president. So, I don't, I'm going to call him Carlos. The president, former president okay. called Carlos. I don't like his last name. So his daughter was at the university, and uh, she got caught cheating. But not cheating the usual way. Like, in Argentina, cheating, you know, it's kind of condoned. It's not like here when you go to school and it's a, it's a curve that, you know, somebody needs an A and somebody needs a F. It's, you know, you just get your grades, and, and if somebody sees you cheating, nobody's going to say anything. That's it's kind of a, 
It used to be like that. I don't know how it is right now. In this particular case, this woman apparently was had her uh, secret service agent in the car with a microphone, and she was being dictated. Oh, the, wow. The, the Secret Service was in on it. That was the news and the thing. It's Secret Service or security. I don't know if Secret Service. Like, yeah. I don't know exactly what happened, but this is what you would read in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. That's scandalous. That <laughs> was horrible. And, uh, and this is just a, you know, the, one of the news. But uh, apparently somebody ratted her, and in the bathroom she threatened this woman back. I was like, you know, I'm going to kill you. Oh. And a week later she was in a coma. <gasps> And that was just, you know, that was one of the stories I still remember. That was not the main thing. My father had a business there. The whole economy was, you know, just turned upside down and, and there was no continuity of com- of, of uh, economy. Things just, each government comes and they just don't care about what the previous one was trying to do and there is no long-term view. It's kind of starting to happen here. Mm. It, and it's a little bit the scary part. At least that's what I feel. Uh, so anyway, every time I go back to Argentina... Then I would come here and things where the economy was was prosperous and they had a, bu- a surplus and, you know, they were coming out of the recession. So I didn't want to go back. I was like, you know what, I can't go back while that guy's pressing and I stayed here. Then, I guess, was it 2004? No, <clears throat> 2000, we had that weird election. That was a toss-up. Oh, it wasn't yeah, a toss-up. when Gore won, but then he didn't win. Yeah, and all that stuff. I already started feeling not right, the right. war, and I was very much against the war. <clears throat> and uh, I started feeling uncomfortable here. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a while I kept at it, And but, you know, it was opening the newspaper and reading things that I just, it was too much. It really made you want to cry. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I think in 2005, I kind of had it as well. There was a bubble and, you know, like the banks, all, all the bailouts and... Even before the bailouts, there was just prices going up and, and people really not caring about each other. It was, it was a lot to me. And I decided that I needed to take a break. I went back to Argentina for one year. Uh, there they had a different pressing. At the time, some people were happier. Um, I couldn't really find the happiness I was looking for. But I was like, okay, let me give this a try. And... Uh, the first year, I realized that, you know, it was a different president, but it's the same situation. Like, mm. whatever, if you start a business in Argentina, or in almost any country that doesn't have a continuity plan, that, that people are not really constantly thinking on <clears throat> on the long term, and they just think, oh, okay, I'm president for years, what am I going to do for me? That's kind of what happens. Uh, without bashing my country, this is something that happens in a lot of places. Sure. People go into politics just thinking about themselves. Yes. <clears throat> and... That's just, okay, I, um, I couldn't start a business. My father had his own business there, and one day the economy was one thing. The next day you open the newspaper, and they open the economy, they close the economy. They just change a lot of things. So instead of starting a business like I knew how to do, like I used to, I did here before, and it's like, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy, and I'm going to go, I'm going to figure out what I want to do. And that's when the empanada idea came, came about. <clears throat> I came back to the U.S., with the intention of opening an empanada business. Completely. Already had, you know, figured out a name, figured out a sort of a, a started lineup of products. It was a, very much an Argentine thing initially. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And uh, I came to this country and there was such a bubble. It was 2006. The bubble was already, like, starting to boil and you feel that real estate prices an were economic crazy. Bubble? An economic bubble. Uh-huh. Similar to what you had with the tech, tech boom in 2000. Right. 
And uh, so when I came back in 2006, I, you know, I figured, like, I don't really want to start renting anything or you can't even find employees or anything. I went back to Argentina. I stayed a little longer. It literally took me three years to find the right time. I had to wait <clears throat> for sort of the recession or, or the bubble to burst. Yeah. I wasn't waiting for the recession, but it's just, you can't just keep feeding the landlords. Yeah. You can, like, if you really want to work, you need to work for, for the people that are working with you. Otherwise, you're just working for the guy with money. Mm. And that's when I came back to start Nuches in 2009, 2010, after the bubble. And, you know, whatever, the economy here, Obama, there was a, at least to me, it was, you know, there was hope. You know, there was somebody, I, I believed in that a lot. I believed in, there was somebody that didn't care so much about himself. And, you know, he wasn't was just... was that, that hopey, changey thing? <clears throat> hopey, changey. <laughs> yes. And, but it wasn't about... I mean, at least not for a moment, I thought this guy should care all his four years. You know, mm -hmm. that wasn't, even if it wasn't hope, it's like, I'm doing this because I believe that I'm doing this for other people. And it felt good. It felt good here. It didn't feel good there again. Right. And, you know, now we're back. Now there's nowhere to run. So now I'm doing this. I'm super happy. But you open the newspaper and, and, and it's a mess everywhere. There's no way you can go back. You can stay here. You can like the whole world is is in such disarray. And that was no. That now. Oh, now. Oh, now. So that oh, was 2009, 10. Yeah. I studied the business. The, yeah. There were more opportunities. We got really lucky. We <clears throat> we had a great product. I came with something very Argentine, uh, and then I realized that you know that's not what I was here for. Like I came here to eat other food myself. Why was I trying to feed? my country to other people. I mean, I love having Argentine food, but I do that once a month. <clears throat> oh, so it made you question, like, your whole business plan and then yes. also, like, what the motivation was? Like, why why were you coming to the yeah. United States? What was our, my point of view on, on the business yeah. that I was bringing? So was I doing something that was completely... Did I just want to bring Argentine here, Argentina here, or do I just want to do something here, from here? And that's kind of what Nuches is. So I came with an Argentine product line that I used to cook and all the recipes inspired in Argentina with chefs from Argentina. And then I put them all, I, I had too many flavors, I had nine, I wanted to start with six, I didn't know which three to chop, and I chopped them all. You chopped them all? We chopped them all. <clears throat> and went back, started with one, the, with the traditional Argentine, and everything else became the reason why I came here, which was diversity. So, I, yeah, I guess, like, the um, the unpopular word to describe it these days would be, like, fusion cuisine. I mean, that's, like, a word that everyone seems to hate nowadays, yeah. but <clears throat> I, it's I, not necessarily one thing or the other. It's just kind of an amalgamation of whatever inspired you. Yeah, and I, and I don't think of our, as our product as fusion. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at it, like, the, the, my, my mentor, a guy by the name Topeto Diaz, very traditional gaucho-dressed, up north, he's unfortunately he died a few years ago. If he sees what I we do, he wouldn't really be so proud of you know. To him, an empanada had to have sixteen folds. So if you had fifteen, it wasn't an empanada. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Imagine if it's green. Why sixteen? Is there any reason behind that? Each province in Argentina uh -huh. has its own traditions. If you put the, some of them put a raisins, some of them put potatoes, some of them put eggs, and everybody swears that they're the ones that invented it. <laughs> <laughs> and the only way to eat it is the way they do it. And that's why I didn't want to do any of that. Uh -huh. And it happens to me now, today. Like, it happens a lot. Like, I know 
when people walk by our location in Times Square specifically, which is where we get most of tourists, every tourist from everywhere they come, they think it's from their country. Oh, funny. They say empanado, this must be from Venezuela. This must be from Colombia. <clears throat> then, and even within Argentina, it's like that same thing happens. So how do you respond to that? So we do have one very traditional product that I love that to me is unquestionably very much an Argentine thing, which is a croissant or media luna. And everything else to me is flavors from the world. But I'm not trying, when I do a shiitake curry, I'm not trying to do any fusion. Like it's an Indian flavor yeah. uh, in a format. And that's what I came. I came to sort of marry cultures and, and meet people. And, and that's what we do. It's a concept. It's a concept of, it's everything from everywhere. Like, I love a samosa. Like, mm -hmm. does it need to be in that shape or could it be something else with that shape? And so we do samosa. Sometimes we do empanada-shaped samosas. I don't call it fusion. To me, it's a samosa with a different format. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's nice that you've landed on a concept that gives you so much freedom to play with. I think that it was all part of the, the plan. I'm running a restaurant. It's a very difficult thing. And, and, and what we try to do is we try to put everything before So when you go to our stores, the product has already, all it needs to happen is the baking. Uh, there's not a lot of chances for the, the person there for getting to put an ingredient or, yeah. or, or having to carry a lot of ingredients on the truck or on the kiosk, which we don't really have the space. Yeah. I mean, the best thing is that you aren't really like beholden to any specific um, food that you're creating and you could just say like, I'm doing whatever I want. Like, you don't have to answer to anyone. Things that I like. Like, uh, yeah. like we're working <laughs> on a great recipe, on a, on a great concept that <clears throat> you just want to eat these when you're walking. And, and, and it could be anything. We do, my favorite we're not doing right now is the jambalaya, which was a play on the jambalaya. But why does it need to be in a plate? Like, do you need it in a bowl? Or, or can I just have it while I'm walking? It has a little bit of bread around <laughs> it. And, I, and it's fantastic. Or we do a short rib, slow braised. You know, like, I could have that anytime. It's like the possibilities are endless. <clears throat> endless. And the cultures are endless and the formats. Yeah. So we do one right now, but we're working on a bunch of others. So where do you get inspiration from? I think all over. It's like when I go to eat, I just, you know, like... I'm You're just like, would this taste good inside fried dough? I, I love to eat a gyro. So like I go to see my friend who has <clears throat> a nick from uh, Uncle Gassi and he makes a great gyro. And, you know, I want to put that stuff in an empanada and eat that too. <laughs> You're like, so, what, can, what can't I eat walking down the yeah, street? <laughs> while I'm, while, and I stop. When I can, I stop and I eat something at his place. And, and, and that will taste great. And I never want to compete with that. It's different. It's something you can have on a different occasion. It's something that you potentially could pick up at any store, not even our stores. And, and you could bake at home. Are you constantly just coming up with new ideas? We are. Or products, I should say. Ideas all the time. Yeah. Products takes a little longer. Right. <clears throat> But, uh. And shapes. We're doing a lot of different things. So um, so kind of to get back to what we were talking about, can I just ask, Please. like, sort of where you're where you are now, like in your head? I mean, like you've you've launched this business. It's pretty successful. Like it's very established. It's 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 manifested. It's like what you hoped and dreamed for. It's no longer like Obama hope change. I mean, so, like, where are you now with everything? It's quite a struggle. So on one end, we have this thing that it's already large and it's working and it's working in so many different places. But then at the core, there's something that it's missing that, you know, I came here with a purpose wanting to do good things. 
but it's becoming more important. Like it's not longer enough to do something. You really need to stand together. You need to work with everyone. I mean, from this country and abroad and, and it really, it, it shows a lot more the, I don't know how to put this. El vacío, we'll say, the, the emptiness on like, okay, I have a successful business, but everything else is a mess or I'm not happy. Right. And it's the same thing that, that drew me out of Argentina, which is like, <clears throat> I could be successful, but if everything around me, it's collapsing, how can you actually enjoy? How could you be happy? And, and uh, Do you feel like you need all those parts to line up to really feel successful or achieve I, happiness? I think it's important. I, I mean, it's, you can't be successful. If, I mean, you can't be green if everybody around you is polluting. And, and it's, I mean, you could be happier, you know, if you don't care about anything. Yeah. But if you see so much poverty or, or, or things going in the wrong direction, the fact that you're doing okay should somehow rattle you a little bit. You mean like the basic concept of we should care about each other? We should care. I mean, we have to. And that's, this is why I came here. Like I could, you know, it's not about the business. It's about, you know, working with other people and, and meeting other people and, and, and giving opportunity, creating opportunity for us, for me, for my family, but more than anything for, for the surrounding. Does it make you want to stay here and try and improve the situation? Like do what you can do? Or does it make you want to leave and go back to Argentina? Well, and this is this is the point like you can't go anywhere now, <clears throat> because uh -huh. the whole world is you know in such. You come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter where you are; you need to put the effort wherever you are. I feel more comfortable here. I feel more at home here. I think it's because, except this, you know, what's happening now. Uh, I would say there's much more of a projection. Like, yes, somehow this country cares for the long term. It's not so clear today as it used to be before. It's not 100% about the, the four years ahead of you. It's not like what's happening in Venezuela, was, which is a disaster. Yeah. Um, that, you know, people are dying and you can't have a conversation. I mean, in here, you're supposed to be able to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think it's, it's moments like this make it more important and it brings a conversation It brings more conversation about. So it sounds a little bit like you feel hopeful. I think like, you know, after the war, you know, like people get together and, and, and work together. So maybe this is kind of what we needed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy to think that it could come to this. But, uh, you know, like you see this uh, health care. I, mean, I really wish everybody had their health insurance. Like I'm all about it. I'm all about for $15 an hour and $20 if we can. I mean, <clears throat> if McDonald's had to pay $15 then I don't need to compete with a dollar hamburger, which, you know, like, it's not right. Like, we're competing with so many subsidies from farm and, and, and large, large, uh, some of the words escape. It's but okay. uh, it's, uh, having to compete with that is not fair. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not here to pay somebody $8 an hour. Like, I'm here to pay somebody 15 20 pay health insurance for everyone. But it's really hard that nobody else is doing it. I was kind of looking forward to this mess of how we're going to do $15 on health insurance and all of a sudden all of that got rolled out. Mm -hmm. But I figure once, once the first step is absorbed, like once the shock is absorbed, we're all in a better place. It's hard at the beginning. And I was looking forward to it. And, you know, it's still going to happen and we're doing it anyway. 
Yeah, but, uh, it will happen. It will happen, and it's happening in New York. Unfortunately, that's not rolling back, but we need to do it everywhere. And we really all need to push there together because without you know, a middle class, a strong middle class and a working class, there's, you, know, you can't be happy. You could get away and have a great vacation somewhere else, but it starts getting bad when you stop on the street and people are asking for money. If you're an empathetic person, it's going to yeah. matter. <clears throat> it's going to matter to, like, I bet that today, like, I've never seen it before, but you're in Manhattan today, you're driving. I live in Jersey. But uh, you cross a tunnel and, and there's people asking for money, which never happened before. In, in our country, it happens all the time. They clean your window. It drives you crazy because you don't, like, you don't want to give somebody money for cleaning your window. You wish you could do something else. But it's happening here. Mm. I mean, did you, have you seen that before here? Yeah. For a long time or... I don't know. Uh, Maybe. So, I mean, it's, it's becoming a lot more of that. And, yeah. and, and also then, it's the other thing, our countries are becoming a lot more of this. Like, the food here has, you know, a lot of uh, it's processed foods with a lot of antibiotics and a lot of things that really are not good for your body. So you have so many people that cannot eat wheat. There's people that cannot process dairy. It wasn't a normal thing. That's true. I mean, I had a friend of mine who was totally lactose intolerant here, and when she came to Argentina, she was perfectly fine, Mm -hmm. perfectly fine 15 years ago. I bet today it's not the same thing because that the culture. So, what's happening here is also happening there. And on one end, on the other end, we're saying, you know, we don't want any of what's happening there here, but we're giving them what we have here. So it's not fair. It's very pervasive. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Please. And then we'll be Thank back. You. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. You're listening to Food Without Borders on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I am in studio today with my guest, Ariel Barboot, who is the founder and CEO of New Chess. And uh, we just have a couple more minutes, so I want to hear a little bit more about where I can eat New Chess, <laughs> where I can find and the so, empanadas and, and all the delicious handheld foods you have. So I think one of the most unique things or that happened to us or more inspiring thing is we came here from Argentina with an idea and somehow our concept landed in the middle of Times Square which <laughs> to me was like winning the lottery it was like a reality show so you can still find us there it was 
It's in Broadway and 46th Street, right by the ticket office. <clears throat> we have our kiosk. It's not the same one that we had originally. When we came here in 2011, we won this bid. It was a six-month lease, so contract, with uh, Times Square Alliance. And those six months became six years now, which is great. They wow. keep renewing it. And, and Congratulations. super happy to be there. That is the melting point of the world. So we are offering something to people from everywhere. <clears throat> and I'm super happy now to be surrounded by a lot of other kiosks. It used to be just one kiosk per block, only four kiosks. Now we have four kiosks sort of in a together, and it really creates more of a market market space, and it's it's great. Now you can go to Times Square, have a beer, wine, eat an empanada, and it's it's fun. Yeah, it, and <clears throat> you mentioned before the um, the Vendi Awards. Oh yeah, and you guys are big winners. So from yes, that. we won two Vendi Awards. We have our food truck uh, goes around the city. Um, we go to a lot of events with the food truck. You will see us. Uh, I think next in two weeks at Afropunk, which we love. Afropunk is one of our favorite events. We take our food cart there. We have two carts. Uh, one of the carts is actually going to be across from the Lincoln Center. Uh, one of our locations now we have another kiosk on. It's called Greeley Square on Thirty Second and Broadway, mm-hmm. right by Koreatown, right by the entrance to the path. And uh, we have a full service cafe there. And uh, we're opening another kiosk in Brooklyn. So we're oh, very yay. exciting. Like, I've been meaning to get to Brooklyn for a while. So we should be opening within the next two months. A what kiosk part in of Brooklyn? Brooklyn? By Borough Hall. That's great. I can't wait. And, and <clears throat> just to add that, you can find our products, not with our names necessarily, in a lot of the mo- in most of the high end supermarkets in, in New York City, high end gourmet stores. Oh, okay. So you them, can buy them and take them home as well. You can buy them and take them home. You know, we don't. We don't use a brand, but we're super happy. We have a USDA facility, so we produce a lot of products for a lot of different people right now. And what that's really what are your current favorite flavors? Um, uh, lately, one of the things we didn't discuss is, uh, like, I've been trying to do a lot less meat. Mm. Uh, and Like for, you personally or, or with the company? For a while personally and also for the company. Like, for a moment, I told you the idea of doing the whole thing big, and it just happens that most of what we sell is meat, but... I mean, it is Argentinian. It is Argentinian, and uh, but we should all eat less meat. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great vegetarian and vegan alternatives. One of my favorite these days, we have a vegan seitan al pastor, mm. which is amazing, and, and I love that one. We're not doing the whole thing vegan. It's very difficult to do, but you know, I have a lot of vegan chefs, and, and I wish, and that's one of the places I want to explore more, I, I wish our customers would order one meat and two vegetarian. You know, like I want to change the ratio as much as we can because there's a lot of problems with, with meat in general. Maybe you could make like a special. Like <clears throat> if someone orders one meat and two vegetarian, they get like a, Maybe that's I don't a know, nice like idea. a prize. <laughs> yeah, they get, like this kind of get, yeah. yeah, you get more vegetarians, you get this yeah. one. I think that, that might be a good idea. Well, you're I welcome. Need, I need to explore that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> At least do like a meatless Monday or, you know, there's, there's so many different like vegetarian campaigns. Yeah, so we do 50-50. Most of our, mm-hmm. we do a lot of vegetarian options, but... People still want beef and chicken. Yeah. Like it's like beef and chicken. I guess when you chicken. think like classic empanada. Beef. Or almost anything. It's yeah. beef and chicken. And, and my one of my vegan chefs is like, if you want to do something vegan, you need to go all vegan for people to really care. And I don't think we can change people like that, at least not with a concept, without going out of business, unless you become a vegan sort of center. Yeah. So we're just trying to put more into that, into a lot of our flavors, work a lot more with vegetables. Um, I like that idea a lot. Where can we find you on the internet? So our website is nuchas.com, and you're, it's nuchasnyc in Twitter. And uh, and then I like how you say Twitter. In t- 
it's not Twitter. 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 <laughs> in Twitter and then in Instagram, I think it's Nuchas NYC as well. Great. Might be Nuchas. Well, we'll we'll follow you and look for updates and new products and new kiosks. Thank you so much for having us. I mean, I I really look forward to listening to more of these and and to get a lot of these things. Like I, I I'm very interested in what's going on. Well, you're a very interesting person to talk to. So it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And thank you for bringing empanadas. And for those of you out there, we have one more show this season, which is going to be next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Right here, heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.